After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey, sticks right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Hey, it's the first time the Florida Panthers have hosted a Stanley Cup final game since the mid-90s. It's the first cup final game at their current building florida live arena and you know josh the chanting started really early in this one fans were into it ref you suck ref you suck i heard it i don't know how many times in game number three you're not going to make any friends with the guys in stripes by doing that i'll tell you that much you you want the benefit of the calls you want the benefit of the doubt you want them keeping an eye out keeping things fair and balanced don't don't tell them they suck don't insult the guys come on no, no, and especially since Florida had taken a bunch of penalties in the first couple of games, you should be more warm and welcoming. Like, welcome to South Beach, welcome to Florida. We'll show you a good time here. Have fun. It's yeah. great. The weather's fantastic. Enjoy the sunshine. You retire here when you're done. Come on, just just enjoy Florida. Let's tell you how wonderful it is. Refs, welcome. Yeah, see, I think that's a better chant. Refs, <laughs> welcome. Let's push that one. Forward. I don't think it's going to catch on, Todd. <laughs> Probably not. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. If you haven't noticed, please make sure you follow us on the social channels. Get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. You'll get me at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, high but not too high a stick. What a knob. That gets you 10, then two times 10. Clean check or not. Why isn't a shoulder to the head a penalty or a suspension? These are questions I have, and I think we'll probably come up with a few others, Josh. Lots of things to discuss in the first three games of the Stanley Cup final. Okay, so I want to make mention of one particular item, and you covered it a little bit on the website, scuttingtherest.com, and you had a little social post or two about it. On the TNT coverage of the Stanley Cup final, which is fantastic, especially when compared to the Canadian coverage, Anson Carter noticed the unusual tape job at the top of Mark Stone's stick. He's got quite a knob there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question being asked is, are there any rules about the size and shape of the tape job? You notice I'm saying tape job at the top of a player's stick. There are for goaltenders. And you delved into it a little bit in terms of skaters on the ice. Yeah, it's very specific when it comes to goaltenders, not so much in the the shape or the thickness of it, but in the color of the tape that they use, because it does have to be white. And that's a rule that dates back to when we had the goal judges sitting behind the nets and they would watch to see when the puck crossed the line. And for visibility purposes, having a knob that was black or even any other dark color could give the impression that it was the puck. He hits the button, the siren goes off, the light goes on, everything stops. So in order to avoid those false positives, they required white tape on the goaltender's stick. That still remains today, even though we have technology that might give us a little bit of a better view. No such requirement exists for the players. Doesn't matter what they do when it comes to taping their sticks. They can do it however they like. And the rule actually gives them carte blanche to do it. It's adhesive tape of any color may be wrapped around the stick at any place for the purpose of reinforcement or to improve control of the puck. So 
as long as you can justify it, Todd, by saying I'm either reinforcing my stick or getting better control, <laughs> you can do whatever you want with it. I mean, I, th I think there's going to be some some bounds where maybe they would have to determine that there may be some other intent with how the stick tape job was. But no, for Stone, it's uh, apparently for better one-handed control on, on the uh, the stick when he holds it at the end there. This really sounds like a rule that the late Roger Nielsen would want to exploit, <laughs> don't you think? Roger's going to have tape like you're going to have that that twisted tape to make the rope out of it and just attach it to the end so you can throw your stick and reel it back in. And uh, I can see him. <laughs> I can see him coming up with some pretty crafty stick things. It's a shame we don't have his his brain challenging the rule book today. Oh, yes, we miss him. OK, let's go back to game number one of the Stanley Cup final. And we got our first coach's challenge pretty early on in the series. It was Mark Stone who knocked down a clearing attempt by Matthew Kachuk. That's a name you'll hear frequently on this edition of the podcast. He then put the puck into the net and made it a 4-2 game in the third period. Paul Maurice said that afterwards it was worth challenging. And, you know, I understand that. You're down by two goals. It's late in the game. Maybe you get a call go your way. Maybe something good happens and it's a closer game and it it kind of gets your team motivated a little bit. Yeah, exactly. There are plenty of situations over the course of the season. And we look at coaches challenge stats and, and see how the coaches did, how the teams do overall, what kind of situations play out differently. Obviously, teams are good at offside challenges, goaltender interference and missed stoppages for high stick like this one. A little less so because they're just uh, either more judgment involved or a little harder to have that evidence on what happened on the player. How do we know exact height of a stick there? That being said, when it's a two goal difference in a playoff game, look, you've got to go for it. These are the ones where you know you might not have a great success rate, but the the benefits outweigh the risks. I mean, you, you want to get back into the game. Wiping a goal off is a huge way to do it. So I get Maurice. I think he knew that this was really a coin toss. And it it was because it's hard to get a good angle on exactly how high Mark Stone's stick is. It, it's shoulder height, but it's normal shoulder height. So you have Stone leaning over a little bit as he's deflecting it, which means his shoulders at that moment weren't at their normal height to begin with. And there's no real marker. There's no measuring stick that we can see at that moment in time how high off the ice the puck was where it contacted the stick. And that's what the officials are looking at here, where the point of contact was. Part of the stick can be above that. But where the puck contacts the stick has to be at or below shoulder height. So, yeah, yes. it's, it's a coin toss. And, and if only, Todd, there were a way that the puck yeah. could tell us its exact position at that exact yeah. moment. Yeah. I was just thinking that, you know, if there was sort of a, um, what do you call, a chip maybe, <laughs> some sort of electronics. Boy. And well, you know what? I bet that could help with determining whether or not it crossed the goal line, too. It absolutely could. This is where we need to get with puck tracking, folks. It, the speed is great or watching it on the ice or rendering it in an animated form like a children's television show. Those are all fun things, and it's cool that we can do it. But this puck, the puck they're using today, has the ability to tell us whether or not it is over the goal line. It has the ability to tell us whether or not it is more than four feet above the ice for a deflection that goes directly in. And it certainly has the ability to tell us the height that it was deflected beyond that to be played or knocked down as Mark Stone did. Now, of course, we would need some stats to go alongside it. So if we know that it was deflected at approximately five feet, four inches, and we know Mark Stone's shoulder height is whatever the NHL database tells us it is because they would have to have that, then it can tell us right away it was deflected by a high stick. We don't even have to go through the review process. We can just know immediately, hey, that was a high stick. Sound the whistle. 
And we could get rid of those stupid bubbles that they have over the players skating around the ice all the time, too. (laughs) That would be another thing. You don't love the bubbles? You don't think it's too busy out there? We've got officials. We've got players. We've got word balloons. We've got countdown clocks in the middle of the ice. We've got moving animated advertisements along the boards. Not enough for you, Todd. No, I think we should put a few more stats up there, don't you? You know, and that way we can all get the 100-inch TV screens, and then we might be able to see a little bit of the game in there. And what, okay. do, what do new fans always say? I can't follow the puck. <laughs> That's right, because they can't see it. I can't see it. <laughs> okay, let's let's get back on track. A couple of other things that uh, that I want to get to from game number one. The, the late game shenanigans, and just because we want to use the word shenanigans, Kachuk is stirring the pot. He he picks up a roughing penalty. Then he gets 10 to finish up his night. This is just the referees taking control of the game so it doesn't really get out of hand. Nobody does anything foolish that costs them deeper into the series. In in this point, I'm okay with a little game management going on. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. You look at things from both sides and you, you try to even things up when it comes to man advantage. You had Stevenson going for the Vegas side on the Florida side. You look at Kachuk going off and they, they both pick up the two and 10. Bennett gets another 10. It's those situations where you try to balance it out as much as possible. Hey, you, you did a little bit more. We're going to attack on the extra minor here. But it's those where you don't want things to blow up. If you think the game's out of reach, we commonly see both guys go to try to protect that manpower. Again, unless one player does something that justifies an additional penalty, then they might tack on an extra two. But otherwise, you're really trying to take it and say, We've had enough of this nonsense. We've had enough shenanigans. And, you know, the next time you guys get into it, you're both going off. That's what happened here. Macaulay and O'Rourke had seen enough and presumably had given a heads up to all the guys on both sides to let them know that they weren't going to tolerate anything late in the game with a two goal lead. When it happened, they laid down the hammer and sent both guys packing. Okay, so that wraps up game number one. In game number two, it was the game of the big body checks. First one I want to look at. No penalty was called. No supplementary discipline happened, even though a shoulder pad contacted the face of Radko Gudis, the shoulder pad delivered by Ivan Barbashev. To set the scene a little bit, Gudis is going in for the check on Barbashev. That's fine. As he approaches, Barbashev takes his focus away from the puck and instead delivers what is referred to as the reverse hit. Gudis... I I don't know, you can debate whether or not it's interference or not, but it's just, to me, I don't understand why there was, A, no penalty on the play, and, all right, if you decide there's no penalty, it's just two guys in an altercation, that's fine. But to use the league's phrase, as the video shows, the shoulder pad of Ivan Barbashev makes significant contact with the beard and face (laughs) of Radko Gudis. Hit knocked him out of the game, and I don't understand why nobody said anything about it afterwards. It's all about the beard there, and it was <laughs> it was a weird hit. So first, we'll we'll talk about the the head contact on the play because you you're looking at the legality, and let's assume it's a legal hit. So we'll focus just on the head contact there. Gudis is leading with his head. It's not really the most intelligent posture to take when you're planning on delivering a body hit. But as he's going in, he's leaning headfirst as he's looking to put a hit on Barbashev, who has the puck and fires it in. Because of Gudis' body position, that's what made his head the point of contact there. And if we're assuming that this is a legal hit, I have to say that head contact was unavoidable by Barbashev. Now, certainly he could have avoided the hit altogether. He's bracing for impact, and he has a player whose body position has put himself where Head contact is unavoidable on this hit. His head is in a dangerous spot because he's leaning forward and putting it out there. So from Barbashev's standpoint, 
what would have been a legal body check on Gudis, it's still legal because the head contact was unavoidable because Gudis basically put his head there. So that's why I'm seeing no supplemental discipline or anything else coming around the head contact part because it was one of those plays. And we saw a handful of situations this season where you had something similar where the player's body position contributed to the fact that the head was the main point of contact. So let's set aside for the moment that you're victim blaming and <laughs> and let, let's discuss the let's discuss the reverse hit. If you take your focus away from the puck and you are de- just to deliver a hit, wouldn't that make that an interference penalty on Barbashev in this case? Yes, but not always. And many of the hits that well, we- like so many rules in the NHL. Yes, but not always. <laughs> do you want to do you want the gray area rule? Because I got a whole book full of them. We've got. A situation where it is interference if you're hitting a player who's not in possession of the puck. And that's where it comes down to the judgment of the officials, because what they need to be looking at in a reverse hit type situation, and and I'll preface this, Todd, by saying the majority of reverse hits should be penalized as interference. There are probably Mm -hmm. more interference calls that should be made than are, because there are limited situations where it's a legitimate legal play. To me, this was one of them. Barbashev's skating there. Gudis is coming in to deliver the hit and you're bracing for impact. It's Gudis who's initiating the body check. Barbashev is merely changing his body position to brace for the hit. And when the hit's coming, he explodes into it, which he's allowed to stand his ground. We'll give him a pass for that, but he's not going out of his way to hit Gudis. They're not both pursuing a puck and, and he's hitting him. He's not carrying the puck, leaves the puck behind stops changes body direction to deliver the hit this is one where gudis is coming in the players are coming together and barbashev on this play while he does explode into the hit does not materially change his path in order to deliver a hit to a player not in possession of the puck so yeah it's a fine line there and obviously gudis doesn't have the puck but when gudis is delivering the hit the fact that barbashev is bracing for impact and exploding back into it is what to me makes this a legal reverse hit like i said Far, far too many of them are actually Mm -hmm. interference. But this one to me, I thought was good. It was clearly a situation where Gudis was intending to deliver a hit, was moving towards his target, and Barbashev responded by physically putting his body in a way where it it maximized the impact on Gudis. Don't lead with your face is basically the caveat. Look, if you're going to go with any rule here, that's probably... If Barbashev does nothing, Gudis hits him head first. It's it's practically a spear at that point. So I don't know what he was (laughs) thinking on this play. But yes, uh, the reverse hit, I I hear far more about them as a strategy when I, I feel like we see way too many that are actually interference. The other big hit, of course, was delivered by Matthew Kachuk and Jack Eichel. Combination of things. Eichel looks down, he kind of toe picks, and the Panther forward is coming off the bench and just hits him hard, shoulder to shoulder. I, I have no issue with this one. I don't think really anybody did. It was a clean hit. No, even Eichel admitted that he, he kind of toe picked on it. I think he looks up, he sees Kachuk coming right at him. He sees the train <laughs> steamrolling right towards him. And I think that toe pick is just the result of a panicked attempt to get out of the way and try to avoid the hit. He stumbles, he goes face into shoulder there. And it was fortunate that there was no injury on the play. Eichel said he got the wind knocked out of him, but that's a perfectly legal hit. There's nothing you could find in the rule book to justify. I mean, it's a scary moment, but it's not a charge. There's no elbow there. It wasn't avoidable head contact. So there's really nothing you could call in that situation. And I think to me, the biggest takeaway was there was no injury. So it makes it a lot easier to swallow that hit because, man, I could see if, if Eichel were out for the series, that'd be a huge loss for Vegas. And of course, fans would be screaming for why there wasn't supplemental discipline, which 
there shouldn't have been, not even a penalty. Correct. Now, the inevitable scrum that takes place afterwards, pushing, shoving, your guy hit our guy, so we're going to get oh, back yeah. at you. So the most of the minors offset, but Kachuk picks up a 10-minute misconduct, and I was a little curious as to why. Any speculation on your part? None whatsoever. I mean, I could speculate, <laughs> but there didn't really seem to be a whole lot worth tossing him for. I mean, I, I actually thought that coming out of this situation, we'd be getting a, a, a power play for Florida just because of how Vegas responded. And it's not unusual that we see them do that of trying to minimize guys going after people after a, a what is a legal body check or even a potentially illegal one. You don't want to have those guys trying to avenge that hit. Or if you do, they they certainly deserve the minor penalty that resulted. So I was surprised to not see that come out. Still couldn't figure out what Kachuk did to deserve that that seat for that period of time. Again, nothing from the hit. So this is only from the scrum afterwards, which really didn't seem to escalate that significantly. You have to wonder what was being said on the ice that that prompted the officials to have him go to the locker room for 10 minutes. It got a little goofy later on in the game as it turned into a laugher. More shenanigans, more misconducts. I wonder if uh, Matthew Kachuk has decided he's going to set the record for 10-minute misconducts because he picked up another one late in the game, I think almost as soon as he set foot on the ice. And I was also a bit curious that Eric Stahl of the Panthers picked up a misconduct for abuse of officials yeah never heard anything about what earned him that abuse of officials i mean certainly the 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 refs and linesmen had had it at that point it was a game that was out of hand they were looking to clean things up and empty the benches which they effectively did but no further details on the abuse of officials which depending on the situation obviously this wasn't a physical abuse so it was verbal we don't typically see automatic disciplinary action, but there's sometimes situations where something else comes out of it. Nothing did in this case. So I have to imagine it was something directed at the official, not enough to justify it going any further. But again, you're you're at that point in the game where, look, we're we're not tolerating this. Maybe it's something that you let slide at one point, but with the way the the game was falling apart and things were getting ugly out there, I think you just have a short fuse when it comes to letting things go. And whatever Stahl said, it was uh, certainly impactful to the officials that night. What do you think the chances are we'll hear about this incident on one of those mic'd up segments? I would love that. It would be wonderful to hear it. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you we will not <laughs> hear whatever it was that Stahl said. I'm sure if it's enough to get him a 10-minute for abusive officials, and this wasn't unsportsmanlike conduct. This was a clear 10-minute for abusive officials. Kind of hard to uh, to market that from an NHL standpoint. So I don't think that audio will ever see the light of day. But if it does, I'd, I'd love to hear what he said. Yeah, it's a shame. Okay, on to game three. A couple of incidents here with uh, note. Uh, late in the game, there was a tripping call on Gustav Forslang on Chandler Stevenson as he went down. What you didn't see in any of the, the video that I saw was the official's angle, what he was looking at. It's not really a penalty, but depending on the angle you're looking at, it's a it's a very different view, I suspect. That's the hardest thing when it comes to some of these calls is you know, which official called it. What does their positioning look like? What are they seeing on the play when the, when the guy's going down? You know, what what does it look like from that perspective? And based on the official who called it, which I think was the, the low official in the corner, you see that the players come together. You've got a couple bodies there and you see one guy going down. It looks like a trip, whether it was intentional or not. You're looking at what you see there. You don't have the benefit of replay. You don't have the benefit of a different angle. So you're going with your position down in the corner there where Forsling is effectively blocking your view of Stevenson. You see Stevenson go down, you call a trip. I can't fault the officials for this one. I mean, they, they did hit skates, so it looked like some contact that led to the call there. 
I think the timing of the game gets people concerned when you've got 11 seconds left and you're putting a team on the power play, but don't we want the same rule book called all the time? Isn't that what everyone says? If it's penalty <laughs> in the first period or late in the third, it should still count the same. Isn't that what I always hear? That's how I think everyone wants the game to be officiated. But then when it comes down to it, when we're looking at a tie game in the third period in the Stanley Cup final or we're in overtime, people object. They freak out. They they get on their they get on their soapboxes and start complaining. How could you call that penalty? But if you want it called the same way all the time, you're going to have those situations. And if you're going to win the Stanley Cup, you may need to kill an overtime penalty. That's just how things might go. I can't, again, I can't fault the officials for this call. It might be one that in October, maybe this one doesn't get called, but things are tight and you're trying to keep things under control and you're trying to take what would be a scoring chance lost, right? Because he's cutting to the middle of the ice and he's Mm -hmm. obviously losing possession of the puck as a result of it. So you get a turnover on the play, and that's one of the criteria that you're looking at when you're deciding, you know, is this enough for a penalty? Change of possession? Yeah, I I, I can't, again, can't give them a hard time for that whistle. One other segment of the game I wanted to discuss was the big hit by Keegan Colasar on Matthew Kachuk in the first period, just as Kachuk had done to Eichel, absolutely rocks him, but it is a clean check. Kachuk is coming through the middle. He gets hit hard, clean, goes down, has trouble getting up, And I'm kind of curious as to why it took so long for him to get pulled from this game for a concussion protocol, because he was on the power play that took place shortly after. And there was a TV timeout. How does this happen? I don't know. I mean, we've seen situations where a goaltender even is pulled after a few more minutes of play or another shift or something else happens there where time passes. And it's really surprising when, the league is concerned with head injuries and they've implemented the concussion evaluation and management protocol. And you have a situation like this where one of the identifications, visible signs of you're looking at motor incoordination balance problems, section three, one B of what their criteria is, where a player staggers, struggles to get up or skate properly, appears to lose his balance. And that's Kachuk. So how that wasn't an immediate pull from the game, I have no idea, especially with that TV timeout. They had a chance to communicate that, to have him tapped on the shoulder, to bring him into the locker room. And instead, he goes out and plays a shift on the power play, which is not ideal. I'm sure the Panthers were happy to have him out there. But here's a guy that you haven't even evaluated to see his the, the state of possible injury or concussion. And he's already back out there for another shift on the ice, putting him at risk for whether it's another head injury or even loss of ability or motor function where he's going to put himself or someone else in a dangerous spot out there. Really surprising that they didn't pull him. I mean, to me, that seemed like an obvious yank. Yes, I, I don't quite understand that one either, but the good news is Kachuk did come back. He was he was addressed and did come back. In fact, scored a big goal late in the game to send it on into overtime eventually. But I don't know, between uh, Mark Stone's knob and uh, <laughs> Matthew Kachuk's head, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of body parts that are getting looked at here. We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's nicely done. That's good play.